Hi everyone, Jason here. On May the 14th, Stephen and myself will be appearing with the one and only Mark Lewison at the Pavilion Theatre in Dunleary, Dublin. We're going to be celebrating 60 years of a hard day's night and we would love you to join us. For tickets, go to paviliontheatre.ie or nothingisrealpod.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Nothing is Real, a Beatles podcast, is powered by Acast. Welcome to Nothing is Real, a podcast about the Beatles. My name is Jason Carty. My name is Stephen Cockcroft. And we're live on tape from Dublin and Belfast. Today, we are looking at the Beatles anthology again, as the project continues to be 25 years old. In our first episode, we looked at the path from 68 until going into production in 92. In our second episode, we looked at the production itself from 1992 to 1995. Today, we're going to focus on the release of it and the aftermath, both in terms of the group's dynamics and how the group continues to function today, because... The Beatles anthology, it turned the band into a, a, an active band again, didn't it, Steve? And I think we're still feeling the effects of that today. Yeah, I think it, it really set the stage uh, for them to, to carry forward into the 21st century. And what we'll talk about in the next little while is how that wasn't really their intention at the time. I think it was kind of seen to be just this one project, but, you know, they didn't really get what they wanted. No, and I mean, I think we, we've touched on this in previous episodes that they all seem to have approached this project with a different motivation and a different mm. intent. And that, that, that becomes very clear uh, as you actually move through the release schedule of the project itself. Because this isn't, this isn't just uh, the television series. There's, you know, there's, a, uh, there's the TV, there's, there's the music, there's a, there's a book, there's a range of hairdressing products there, there's a, you know yeah, all of that stuff is there well when we got to the end of our second episode you know the the show had finally hit the air and we talked a little bit about how in the aftermath um you know there was there was diminishing viewing figures so we're, we're going to zoom in on, on on that little bit uh first because it is fascinating how there was so much effort to get to this point of getting it out and yeah what I kind of see now in retrospect, when you kind of look at the dates and, and everything else is there's an awful lot of chaos around it. And, uh, you know, when we think of, you know, maybe this is a 2020 point of view, but you think of things get dropped and things get binged and people like to have a lot of stuff. The fact that it has this odd afterlife for a year and more of coming out in dribs and drabs might not have been the best idea. It's very strange, and and I think particularly uh, uh, for us looking back in in, in twenty twenty, um, there, there's a sort of leisurely unfolding mm. of the entire project, and nothing seems to be ready when it's supposed to be ready. Everything is a last minute uh, rush. Yeah, that's part of it as well. So you think today 
everything is micromanaged. Every, every aspect of a, whether it's a television series or an album or a, a you know a slow release of singles trailing uh, uh, records with you know yep. everything is under control and micromanaged and and there does seem to be an element of chaos about this and I, I suppose in one sense well that's what they always did you know they were kind of rushing in 1965 coming up to christmas they needed to get an album recorded they had a couple of weeks to do it they had to tour they had to do this they had to do that and and you get that same sense of chaos mm. um and on top of it you've got that layer of politics yes uh, inter, in intraband politics and it's this end of november uh, 1995 is the date that they're all shooting for and it seems that once they hit the key moments of getting the show onto the air and the free as a bird single out that everything then gets a bit loosey-goosey yeah the show gets uh, experienced in a different way depending on which side of the atlantic you're on um so in the u.s <laughs> in the u.s uh there's a um it's shown all over the course of one week on the ABC network. So it's Sunday the 19th, Wednesday the 22nd, and Thursday the 23rd of November. It's shown in two-hour chunks, but with about 30 minutes of adverts. Uh, So they're all done and dusted within the one week in the States. They've seen the whole thing. Yeah, and uh, but as you say, they they lose thirty five minutes. Um, so they they lose fifteen minutes uh, from the first episode, right? Uh, about the background in Liverpool, because hey, you know, not important. That's that's, that's not important. <laughs> yes, and so I've never seen the US edit, but that's one version of the anthology, three parts over three nights, and you know, it's it's. It's, it's a very early days of the internet. Certainly people weren't file sharing back in 1995. No. So it's hard to imagine pulling off something like that now where um, the show has been seen in the US and it's all, the thing is over by the 23rd of November. Whereas over on this side of the Atlantic on, on, on UK and Irish TV, uh, it's shown in weekly episodes. And when you look now, those numbers fall off a cliff. The viewing figure numbers across the six weeks of the Beatles anthology are not good. The first episode goes out in the UK um, on Sunday, the 26th of November. Yeah. And that does okay. It gets 14.3 million viewers. Very respectable number. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you were watching it. I was watching it. Everybody was watching it. Anybody who was worth their salt. What was your take at the time when you first saw it? I, I have to say I remember being very disappointed with the first episode because it was it was there was a lot of kind of uh, just early footage of uh, Liverpool and there were sort of World War Two planes and a little clip from the Wild One with Marlon Brando and and I was just thinking you know don't come on I want to hear I want to see the Hey Jude video clip or I want to hear see Shea Stadium or I want to you you know it was a very it was a very strict chronological walkthrough. And I'm not, yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm sure I wasn't expecting it to be anything different. But, you know, again, losing 15 minutes of the first episode might not have been such a bad thing. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I was, I remember watching it and being struck at how, um, straightforward it was you know yeah. and I, I don't really know what i was expecting you know that it's just a, a straightforward linear 
documentary. Um, it was the Beatles. Uh, the Beatles back together again. I was expecting the sun to come out, everything to be fine, the world would be right. Well, I, uh, I've heard people coin the word anticipation <laughs> in yeah, relation to things yeah. like this. And uh, much and all as I enjoyed the carnival about free as a bird, which had come out a few days earlier. Um, yeah, the documentary was just a documentary, and you're right. Yeah. That first part doesn't have the the gold and as a Beatles fan it was later on seeing things for the first time like you know the paperback writer clips or uh, you know stuff that I didn't know existed like you know the the Japanese live footage and all the rest that's yeah. the kind of the the, the 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 stuff that I was really excited about. the thing I did love about the first episode was Morecambe and Wise I do remember thinking that was the yes, best thing ever yes <laughs> I mean yes I, I, I and it's 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 difficult to sort of imagine you know you and I are Beatles fans, we want to see this, we're glued to the TV screen. Mm. But if you were just sitting down as a kind of casual observer thinking, oh, there's a bit of a kind of, you know, uh, hype about this, I better sit down, this is this is must watch, this is going to be water cooler TV, I'm going to have to talk about this and work tomorrow. I, 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 you know, I think, I think you'd have been disappointed. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's not the way the documentary would be made, or at least it's not the way the documentary would be cut would be edited mm. today. Um, you, you know, you'd have something punchy up front. You'd, you'd probably have a bit of a retrospective, tro- you know, blast through the entire career. You'd probably see some highlights <laughs> to kind of uh, let you anticipate what's coming in later episodes. It, and that's the way it would have been done. And there'd been a hook. It's, it's a very kind of dry style. It is. It's very like, you know, you're right. There's a lot of modern documentaries, which is just like, you know, they, they're recapping in and out of every ad break about yeah. what's going on. And in some ways, I doff my cap to the anthology because it's like the world at war. It's like, here it, are the facts and the footage and these are the key yeah. people, you know, who need to tell you that, what's going on. That's that's exactly right. But the people the people that were making it, uh, you know, the, the stars of the documentary, mm. the people who were watching it, we we grew up on the world at war. Yes. Or or I don't know if you've watched Tony Palmer's All You Need Is Love. I've seen bits of it, yeah. It's the, the entire hour and a half first episode is just him talking about what he's going to be telling you about over the next yeah. 125 episodes and it it it's it's unfolds at an incredibly leisurely pace and and it yeah it comes absolutely out of that early 70s um style. Yes. Um, so it goes out on Sunday nights uh, over six weeks, but the figures really tail off. So episode one is 14.3 million viewers, and then it drops to 11.6 million viewers in week two, 10 million viewers week three, 8.7 million viewers week four. And then it gets totally thrown off by the Christmas recording schedule. So it's not on uh, Christmas Eve was a Sunday that year, but instead they put it on the Tuesday Boxing slash Stevens's day. It drops to 3.8 million viewers. And then the last episode goes out on New Year's Eve, right at the butt of 1995 with a miserable 2.9 million viewers. So they've managed to shed um, 11 million viewers, about 80% of the, the viewers from week one by week six. The scheduling is nuts. Yeah, they keep nudging it later and later. Who's going to stay in on New Year's Eve to watch? Let's, let's watch the Beatles split up. Me, I did. <laughs> and I think, I think me and uh, me and 2.8999 million other people. But, but yeah, exactly. Who is going to stay in on New Year's Eve to watch a documentary? Yeah. Um, and and uh, as you say, it's the kind of they start shifting it. Mm. The timing shifted it. Uh, they, uh, you know, w- w- with hindsight, three episodes would have been 
perfect. I do like that notion of, you know, just hit, hit them fast, get the three episodes yeah. done in a week. That makes a lot yeah. more sense. And because I can see by why the, the of, Americans yeah. pushed for that. Yeah, because by the end of the first episode on a three episode uh, run, you're into the meat, you're into the gold. Yeah. And there's a couple of things missing from it, you know. So, you know, there's no... Um, Patty Harrison, there's no Maureen Starkey uh, who could have been interviewed at the time. The drugs thing is all a bit coy. Yeah, there's the, you can yeah. see the compromise in some of it. Well, this is this is this is the thing. It's not because it's an official version. Mm. Uh, it's not going to be the expose. It's not going to deal with those things. But um, uh, Bob Smeaton, who was the sort of writer, series director, was very open about that. There was a there was an interview in Record Collector, which came out in December, which was issued just before the series premiered in uh, the UK. And he said, well, yeah, we didn't have Patty or Maureen because uh, they didn't have a direct effect on the Beatles. <laughs> and you well, say, well, I, ho- I hope neither of them read that interview. But he might um, have a point. Well, they were in the eye of the storm. They were in, they, yeah, they were in the eye of the storm and they might have a story to tell, but I don't think they had an effect, you know? The, the, well, mm, no. What do you think? Well, yeah. I mean, Yoko had an effect. Yoko had an didn't effect. have an effect. Well, I get, maybe, maybe not, but she was there. She was there. She was there. Um, you know, they, he specifically says in this interview, well, we didn't ask anything about heroin. There's no evidence. And the interviewer <laughs> says, well, cold turkey. And he goes, well, well that's a John Lennon song. Yeah. Wait till he finds and out it, John Lennon was in the Beatles. Yeah, <laughs> and it was, it's, it's, you know, and it, it's that aspect. And the other thing, they, they, they you know, Neil Aspinall, and he says, they, they talk, uh, you know, that you don't really go into the the detail on the split and, and you don't really cover in detail the Pete Best sacking. And he says, well, you know, Neil Aspinall is still very close to Pete because, mm. and the reason for that is that Pete's the one that got Neil the gig in the first place. Yeah. So Neil's and there because think, of Pete, well, yeah. yeah, also, and Neil's son is Pete's half-brother. Yeah. So they're not mentioning that. So, uh, you know, Pete Doggett says it's a celebration. It's not a truthful self-portrait. Yeah. But it strikes exactly the right note of nostalgia without endangering the group's delicate internal framework. And I think that's as good a summation. I mean, we, we couldn't really have expected anything else. No, and I think it did hit that thing that George said, which is, you know, someone like you two would see this and go, that was a famous band. You know, it is, yeah. it is, yeah. um, you know, hit after hit. And it's, you know, it's an awful lot going on there. But the th- other thing that was happening in parallel to that was, you know, the anthology CD came out and we touched upon that at the end of our last episode. Um, but that comes out on Tuesday, the 21st of November, and people are able to get a hard copy of Free as a Bird to listen to. And it sells 3.5 million copies in the U.S., um, which is a lot. Um, but then comes, you know, probably not the wisest decision, which is Free as a Bird comes out as a standalone single two weeks later, which I still annoys me. After this is, yeah, this is the point at which I think if someone had just, from Apple, had just picked up the phone and given me a call, I've, <laughs> I I could have explained. I mean, it's it's... There is no sense, no sense at all. Yes. Uh, so you've got this new, highly anticipated uh, song. They're kind of resurrected um, John Lennon. And what do you do? You stick it on the front of uh, an album of kind of outtakes. And, yeah. and we, we should just say Anthology One is an odd album 
because it's got little clips of yeah uh, like from brian epstein talk reading from his biography you've got little snippets of john Lennon. it it's it's a sort of a documentary style i was that, that, really annoyed when it came out or not annoyed uh, i was just disappointed because i really wanted to you know i found that particularly that first cd it's yeah. it's 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 just an a documentary it's like a glorified radio show it, it, that's exactly it. And, um, I mean, uh, it's important stuff, but it's not a good. It's not a good album in and of itself, not, you know. No, it's not a good listen. It's not a. It's not. It doesn't drag you in. Yeah. I mean, could I say? Could I say? I took a day um, off so work. That's a huge. Yeah, that that's a huge issue. But "Free as a Bird" comes out as a single, and the the Beatles are chasing a number one. They're trying to get this song into the coveted Christmas number one slot. Yeah, and uh, you know, it's it's important that those two weeks a lot of momentum is lost for free as a bird because there's an awful lot of excitement about hearing it for the first time yeah. and then two weeks and later you're trying to force people into the shops to buy it and the people who are buying it have already got the album yeah they've already heard it yeah um you know the reason why i bought the single i bought the cd single was because there were a couple of tracks on you know the b-side that that weren't on the album yeah but uh, just also, just as a as a matter of kind of completeness, but the casual buyer is not going to do that. And if you've sort of enticed the casual buyer to buy the album, they're not going to buy the single. Yeah, no, they're not. You know? And those B sides were a nice full version of Christmas Time is Here Again, which I did buy. I was quite happy to get that. Yeah, uh, and, and otherwise unreleased versions of I saw her standing there and this boy, which hadn't made the anthology album cut. Um, but you know, you you put the single out first, yeah. or you put the single out at the same time as the album, and don't put it on the album. But here's the amazing thing, and you know, when I saw this figure, uh, you know, in the research for this, it's just like the single still sold 120 thousand copies in its first week in which, the UK. Yeah, yeah uh, which you know, considering how few copies gets you to number one these days, these days, yeah. uh, 120 thousand copies is. Um, is a ton of copies and you know in a, in a good week would have got them to number one um, but, but 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 and this like it's not that they didn't get to number one that's the one part that's annoying but the thing that really annoyed me was that they lost out to michael jackson well if you felt Earth bad song. you felt if you felt bad imagine how paul felt well yeah it's it must have been particularly galling for paul because i i think it you know the 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 culmination of the project more so than the project itself i believe for paul was free as a bird getting yeah. the three of them yep. together to do this that if the if the whole documentary had gone up in smoke he wouldn't have cared he just wanted to get this single out i think no Uh, i agree i think think that's absolutely i think that's absolutely right that was you know and he he might sort of affect a a sort of oh i don't really care about you know we don't need a hit yeah but but yes absolutely this was you know john and the boys back at where they should be yeah you know and so, you know, it becomes apparent that this single isn't going to get to number one in the UK. And in, in the US, uh, it does go to the top 10, but it, it, it doesn't get to, to, to number one either. It just gets to number six. But here's the, the really sad thing. And, and obviously, this isn't known to people at the time. But, you know, there's been this huge mountain to get the project over the line, to get the single together, to get the reunited Threetles. And on the week that the single comes out, Paul gets some terrible news 
Yeah, so this is Linda receives her diagnosis that she is suffering from breast cancer. And that comes out, they, they, they discover that uh, in that week uh, of December, uh, in December t- uh, 1995. And, you know, so obviously when any family gets a news like that, uh, you know, your perspectives suddenly change and it means that, you know, Paul and Linda can't really enjoy this time that it, it you know they're looking well, into a difficult th- difficult Christmas and a difficult few months. This is it. So all through the coming months when the focus is on anthology, on release schedules, interviews, chart performance and the kind of internal politics Paul and Linda are dealing with this behind the scenes and it is very much behind the scenes. I mean they don't go public with this. Yeah. Uh, all the way through 96 I think they don't go public with this. Yeah. Um so so that's happening to them in in the background and 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 that's very difficult. Um so you kind of get to the end of 1995 and you know people seem to think well that's the end of anthology year. Yeah. But, but there's loads of anthology business that has to happen in 1996. And 1996 you know, when you kind of lay out the dates and look at what happens, it's chaotic. It's kind of embarrassing that it, it, all the dates move, nothing happens as it should, and this sort of aggro. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this is this is, as you say, the big push was to get the documentary out, get that first single out, and then you do just have a sense that uh, not that people are taking their eye off the ball, but there isn't that focus yeah so things just start slipping all over the place you know release schedules and as you say there's there's sort of arguments creeping in and the fact that this is impacting on the release schedule means that those arguments or that uh, sort of discontent within the within the team is suddenly becoming known or, or or people are realizing it's not a reunion in 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 the sense that uh, this is going to go on forever and there's going to be new Beatles stuff and they're not getting on. So the big news for 1996 is that, you know, Anthology 2 has to come out and Anthology 2 has tethered to it Real Love, the second yeah. Threetle yeah. song. And the original plan is that Real Love is going to be scheduled um, for Valentine's Day um, because it's a Real Love song. That seems like a good idea. And that Anthology um, 2 is due to come out on February the 26th. Yeah, and all all the artwork has little hearts, and it's all yeah set up. It's, or, it's a proper yeah. yeah nice thing to buy, and then that kind of falls apart apparently because of running order changes in anthology. This is you're, you're pointing the finger at George now. Well, I I hear various stories because one version is that you know this is to do with Carnival of Light, whether Carnival of Light was due to be on it or not. Yeah. Um. And I don't know, had Carnival of Light made it to the printing presses or was it just shifting around? Because they move I'm Down, isn't that what they do? Yes, they do. I mean, Mark Lewison has talked about this and and, and he assisted in in, in sort of compiling uh, uh, the anthology project. And he said, and he advocated for Carnival of Light to be on the album, but his quote is, it did not get beyond George. I'm not sure it got beyond Ringo or Yoko either. It was something that was going to potentially spotlight only Paul, and I don't think there was something that they collectively wanted. So there's that aspect of it. Plus you have George Martin saying, not good enough. Barry Miles, Paul's biographer, saying it's really dreadful. Uh, (laughs) Ian MacDonald saying it's just nonsense. Um, but but uh, yeah, I mean the version that 
seems to be the case. Uh, Paul speaking in 2002, Mark Allen to Mark Allen in an interview saying it was up for consideration. George vetoed it. He didn't like it. Maybe it's time hadn't come. Yeah. So yeah, Paul, I think is, I, I think that the, the story is, yeah, George, they were still tinkering with the running order for the album. George said, we're not having Carnival of Light. And that was that. Yeah. And they, they, they end up moving uh, I'm Down to earlier in the album. And what that means is £500,000 worth of pre-printed CD booklets have to be scrapped and reprinted. Allegedly, sure. Paul pays the bill. Paul pays the bill. I've that's one of the things I read once that Paul uh, schedules. Uh, Paul Paul pays so it for think, out of his pocket. So you think it was him that wanted I'm down shifted in the running order? Um, uh, maybe. <laughs> or, or, or was George just saying, "Well, I'm not paying any more money." <laughs> George was still waiting for the checks to come in from Anthology One. Um, well. Yeah, well, I, I, I should also say at this time, George in January '96 gets awarded eleven million dollars against his former manager Dennis O'Brien, which uh, was one of the things that a, pushed him towards doing the anthology which is, in the first yeah. place. Uh, and you think that would be all good, but, but he never gets um, it. He never gets the money. Yeah. Uh, O'Brien has been has declared bankruptcy, and George really spends the rest of his days largely unsuccessfully chasing that money down. Um, so the Real Love single comes out late and it comes out on March the 11th. Uh, it sells 50,000 copies in its first week again. That would get you to number one in 2020. Um, but it stalls in the UK charts at number four. And I, the Beatles get involved in a very unseemly row with BBC Radio 1, which I remember very well at the time because the, the yes. Beach Boys were also in a row. I remember the Beach Boys and Status Quo had a terrible song out, uh, a cover of Fun, Fun, Fun that Radio yes. 1 wouldn't play. Oh. Oh, yes. yeah. And uh, Radio 1 is, you know, I'm sure most people listening to Radio 1 is kind of the BBC's national pop music channel. But there was a radical overhaul going on in the mid 90s uh, in BBC Radio 1 to try and realign itself with Britpop, with a younger audience to get rid of the old school 70s and 80s smashy and nicey DJs. And one of the ways that they were trying to prove how cool they were, I think, was to stick it to the Beatles. Yeah, nobody likes the Beatles. Yeah, they're old. That's music for old squares. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, but this is this is this is um, portrayed in the press as a band. Radio One have banned the Beatles, but what what actually happened? As was it Matthew Bannister, the controller of Radio One, comes on and goes, "That's not a band. It's just." not on the playlist hmm. because we don't think it's what our listeners want to hear. We're not saying we're not going to play it. It's just not on the playlist. Yeah. Um, and as you say, yeah, there is something kind of unseemly about this, you know, about, uh, you know, at one point Paul is saying, well, who needs Radio 1 when you have the independence? Well, uh, the, but at the same Paul time... Paul says Ringo said that to him because I'm sure yeah, they talk about radio play, which they But don't. at the same time, Paul writes that yeah, he, he writes a big 800-word letter to um, our article for the Daily Mirror that they print it. And, um, you know, he gets really defensive. And it's, again, it's that bad side of Paul. They don't need our new single, Real Love, to be a hit. It's not as if our careers depend on it, you know. And the kindergarten kings of Radio 1 may think the Beatles are too old, but younger bands don't care, you know, blah, blah, blah. I, I, I bet he was really pleased with that phrase, the kindergarten kings of Radio 1. <laughs> yeah, probably. But, you know, again... 
it's it's it is interesting, you know, all the stuff he's dealing with, and he still feels the need to it's, come out swinging on that, you know. Yeah, he still he still wants that chart success, and but you know, it goes straight in at number four, stays there, and then bang, it goes. Yeah, and I remember being in London. Um, uh, at that time on a trip uh, at the start of 96 and seeing... On a trip? On a trip. Uh, and, you know, there was a push in London. There was some posters up and that around the place as well um, for did they, did, they, did they have the... In Piccadilly Circus, did they have the big... Uh, they did not, no. Uh, the, the old, the old... Not the big old ca- lights that turn up in the video. Kevin okay. Godley, real love, yes. Um, so, uh, the you know, anthology... So the real love single gets dropped back. The, the, the volume two of Anthology 2 eventually does come out. And in fairness, Anthology 2 is a much better listen than Anthology 1. It is. It is fantastic, actually. Because they've clearly decided... You know, Jason didn't like the documentary style. <laughs> We're going to ditch that yes. and give Jason what he wants, which is the pop-tastic. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, the, the years, somebody, I think it was a review, possibly in Q magazine, it said, <laughs> it's the sound of the Beatles inventing modern pop music. Yeah. And it's, you know, because it correlates with that period where they are doing studio experimentation and they're bringing songs in and recording slightly different versions. There's a lot of great stuff on Anthology 2. And there's also good vibes, you know, there's good music in Anthology 3, but there's also some bad juju going Um, on. Yeah, yeah. But Anthology 2 is top of the world stuff. And do you go back and listen to Anthology 2? Well, you know, I picked, uh, I I didn't have them on vinyl for the longest time. And then I got them on vinyl a few years ago. And actually, that's a nice way to revisit them, to just yeah. take a side of it instead of, because otherwise you can get lost in the back end of the CDs. But to actually take a side of Anthology vinyl is actually a nice yeah. hit on um, alternate um, um, beaters. And what's what's your view on this sort of uh, Frankenstein approach where they segue from one take into another take and they they splice things together? So you're not you're not. It's very different from what we get now on the box sets where you 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 supposedly get a fly on the wall. You I get breakdowns and I don't thing. mind really. I, I didn't. I no. didn't really. It didn't really register with me at the time because I couldn't afford any cd bootlegs because they were about 30 (laughs) quid and so yeah to me most of this stuff was new and i didn't really care i you know we talked before that the beatles still want people to like them you know and if there's a little bit of glossing that can be done they're gonna they're gonna do it i i I remember the bit that really struck me with anthology 2 when i got it was the strawberry fields forever sequence which i found phenomenally powerful and i hadn't heard that stuff before and yeah. I thought, my God, this is this is this is better than the real thing, you know? Because yeah, he, it's very well of, done. You're used to it being alternate versions, but there are a few moments that you don't get on Anthology One that you do get on Anthology Two, where you think these things are the best. I'm going to pick up my copy of Anthology Two here now, and I remember at the time, you know, that Strawberry Fields Forever stuff. The the unadorned Good Morning, Good Morning is one of my favorite things yeah. ever. That's an absolute uh, rollicking uh, trip, and. Uh, I was in college at the time and I remembered that there were certain bits of it that got, uh, for some reason, there were people who wouldn't have been Beatle fans, but they used to say things like, okay, with Siggy in mouth. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and certain bits of uh, scraps of language Dialogue, yeah. Yeah, kind of crept into, into, into the world. So Anthology 2 is a great record. Um, that There's a lot of good stuff on it. So I certainly think every home should have one. My, uh, my, my recollection is, yeah, my recollection is it was very well received, very mm. well received. Um, got very good write-ups in the, the press at the time. But I think people were kind of saying, 
it, it was I remember being well received but I also remember being well received in the respect of oh I wish the first one was this good that was kind yeah. of the the subtext of it yes it was it was kind of like you know yeah they've got this right now they've kind of learned or they've they've kind of moved on anyway this is this is the really interesting stuff when yeah. the drugs kick in yes um so uh, that that comes out then. So we're kind of in around March, April, ninety uh, six at this point, and uh, there's yes. Have I was going to say, and then, and then and then the Beatles got back together again for a big concert in Hyde Park. Well, yeah, that was the rumor. And uh, Stephen, were you by any chance at a big concert in Hyde Park in uh, on I, June twenty ninth, nineteen ninety six? I was uh, by chance at a big concert in Hyde You're Park. You're like Zelig, on... the Zelig of. Classic rock gigs. Um, I was there, but uh, sadly, no sign of Paul, George, or Ringo. And you know, I I had forgotten until you you reminded me (laughs) in the run up to this. I had forgotten that that was um, the speculation. That was the kind of speculation. But I think it was just that. It was a big gig and it was in Hyde Park. Well, the thing is, it was the first Hyde Park gig in yeah. about 25 odd years. So yeah. we take Hyde Park gigs for granted now with, you know, all these kind of corporate, uh, well, back when there used to be gigs, Stephen. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, so, uh, but, you know, there were no Hyde Park gigs in the 80s and 90s until this big gig in 96. And it turned out to be, it's the yeah. gig that's known for The Who getting back together to do Quadrophenia. And yeah. Eric Clapton headlined, but The Who did Quadrophenia. They they did Quadrophenia and they had um, uh, if I go to supporting these, them they, people they had, people, the they, they had uh, they certain certain people <laughs> that we can't, aren't allowed to mention but also uh, David Gilmore from Pink Floyd yes wandered on because it's virtually compulsory that if I'm at one of these big gigs <laughs> David Gilmore will wander yeah, on uh, that, Steve, that happens frequently Stephen frequently is in the same room as David Gilmore purely accidental um, but. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Yeah, yeah but, the Beatles but, were supposed to turn up at this thing, which I yeah, because, who because thought that was, was going to happen? It was Clapton, and I, I, I had completely forgotten about this, but the rumor was, <laughs> even on the day, I remember standing in the crowd, we I got we get very close to the stage, and the rumor was, uh, yeah, they're going to come on and do While My Guitar Gently Weeps, because that's Clapton played, and that's, uh, how could they not? I'm sure Paul would love to waste that kind of capital on a George song. Yeah, and, uh, you know, but <laughs> Dylan... somebody else's gig. And what... <laughs> On the day, I think the opening act was Alanis Morissette, mm-hmm. and you know she was big at the time, and um, still is, Stephen. I'm afraid, Dylan <laughs> and Ronnie Wood, yes, turned up. I forgot Dylan was there. You know, this is before we kind of realised that Ronnie Wood will just turn up. You know, at everything, yeah. but it, there was that kind of sense. 
there's a Rolling Stone on the stage with Bob Dylan, <laughs> Paul, George, and Ringo probably backstage. You know, uh, I had completely forgotten about that, but. Uh, yeah, they didn't show. They didn't show. Um, schedules continue to slip all over the place then as, yeah. as we go through 1996. So the home video uh, version of Anthology, which is eight parts and each one is expanded. So there's much more material than on any of the TV versions. Yeah. That's due on uh, September the 23rd. Uh, it doesn't happen. It gets delayed by about a fortnight. It comes out on October the 7th instead and it retails for yeah. £99. I, yes, I bought a copy of that. I didn't I, think I, I, yeah. I ate that month, but um, <laughs> I ended my, up my waiting own... till Christmas to get my copy. Uh, Santa. Yes. Um, but, but my little tidbit of information is it was originally going to be 10. Oh. It was going to be the same content, but split over 10 uh, DVDs. But George vetoed that on the basis that 10 is not a good karmic right. number. So eight was the number. Eight was the number. And uh, what people also forget is that those eight videos came out individually. You could buy them individually. I think they came out the following year individually and they were initially out in a big box. And I remember seeing the, the big box for the first time and I, I still have it packed away somewhere. I uh, kind of keep thinking my VHS copy of the anthology is going to bring me riches. They really I sell th I for think you, nothing I think you can, these days. Yeah, I think you can pick a copy up for about four quid. They're, so. Yeah, they're, but, but it's... A, it's it's a nice thing. Well, at the time, there was no other way of getting it. And, yeah. you know, we're still pre-DVD. Uh, 99 quid, I'm going to guess that's the guts of 200 quid in modern Must money -ish. be. Must be. Uh, I haven't, uh, haven't checked that up. Anthology, then volume three, the last double CD set is due for October the 7th. Does it come out in October the 7th? No. It does not. Does it come out with a third Threetal song? No. Nope. Did Paul and George manage to write uh, what's it called? All, All for, for love? love. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm, I'm quite glad they didn't. I think, but yeah, just on the basis of the title. Yeah, and what's happening in the background in '96 is Paul is also recording, uh, you know, what will eventually become Flaming Pie. Yeah, and you know, you do wonder again, you know, is there a version of events where he? would have brought Flaming Pie into a threetal session. Hey, lads, do you remember this? And yeah, I've got they, this one. Yeah, this they, a bit, well, you could kind of see that that song... Would fit into the spirit uh, of, kind of fit, historical would, Beatles. Yeah, but uh, again, the fact that there wasn't a third threetal song, there yeah. wasn't a third new song, that, that just laid bare the fact that they weren't getting on, that there was a degree of animosity there or... Uh, you know, it, it's it also upsets my uh, sort of uh, OCD and that yes, it should have a third song, uh, you know? but it doesn't. And instead, the anthology three opens with a beginning, which um, um, uh, yeah, it, it's so which is a little piece of orchestral music that was written by. George Martin, and it was originally supposed to be the introduction to Don't Pass Me By on the White Album. Uh, I, I find that hard to believe. Well, it, it's a top pop fact of name the only Beatles song that is not written by any of the Beatles nor features any of the Beatles. And it's yeah. a beginning from Anthology 3. And yet it's still a Beatles track, which is all. Very... Can you, could you splice that into the beginning of? Well, they've done it on um, the, uh, it's, it, it's reintroduced on the White Album box set but on one of the work? CDs. I, I, it's, it's not the it's same. Kind of, no, it, it, it sounds a bit like Yellow Submarine, incidentally. Yeah, it's, oh, I don't know. That, that, that's it. I, I assume that was, you know, that was George's, George Martin's payday. Yes. A little treat, a little gift A little for him. treat, a little gift uh, to get the royalties 
Well, we talk about royalties and even though, you know, we're complaining about these records, they remain phenomenally successful. So Anthology 3 is due out October the 7th. doesn't happen. comes out October the 28th. Um, manages to reach number four in the UK. Manages to go to number one in the USA. And so the Beatles have the incredible feat of having three number one albums within one year, within one 12-month period. Anthologies and 1, 2, and 3. Double albums or triple albums. They're all, yeah, they're all triple vinyl, double CD, um, massive multi-platinum sales. And so it actually turns out that when the numbers are all added up, uh, you know, the Beatles sold more albums in 1996 in the USA than any other year of their career. Now, maybe yeah. that's to do with how album sales were counted, that we had sound scan and we had proper yeah. digital electronic counting, but that's the figure. Yeah, uh, I mean, 20, 20 million albums, anthology albums sold. Well, I mean, that's that's nine, if you're going, you know, in old money in vinyl albums, yeah. that's nine albums worth Yes. And you think how few albums they released in their career. Yep. You know? But here's 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 an interesting thing to do with the collapse of the music industry. So they sold 20 million anthology albums in one year in America, right? Yeah. Uh, for the first six months of 2020, the number of physical media sold in the US total, total is 10 million CDs. For all albums, all charts in the first six months in the US, so is 10 million. So <laughs> the Beatles yes. sold comparably what is selling in about a, a calendar year's worth of CDs for 2020. They yeah. sold that uh, just themselves back in 95. Young people today, they don't know what they're missing. <laughs> in terms of collecting and stocking. The physical products. Well, yes, but young people can't buy physical houses to store their physical product. Welcome That's to our true. political podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, they sold 20 million Anthology albums uh, back when that was a lot of records. And Anthology 3 also does get good reviews. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I do like it a lot. And, you know, we meet some, we get a good idea for the first time that the Isher demos were maybe better yeah. recorded than we ever knew. And, um, you know, they try to make something out of the, the Let It Be material. Yeah. And I mean, you get, you get the... Uh, those George Harrison demos for all things must pass. And, and, uh, you know, while my guitar gently weeps, those, those are worth the price of admission on their own. The, the George solo stuff is, yeah, is absolutely, um, it's absolutely lovely. Um, so they've had this phenomenally successful year and George Martin is picking up gongs on their behalf, but there's this incredible statement that then comes out. Yeah. Um, which is released by Apple. And this comes out in November. Shall I read it out? Are you going to read it in Derek Taylor voice or in a Paul McCartney uh, voice? Let, or me, just, just... let me light a cigarette here <laughs> and put on some kind of um, pinstripe uh, regalia. Um, this is the statement. The end has finally come. The Beatles are no more. The official word is that Paul McCartney, George Harrison and Ringo Starr will never play together again as a group. And they have decided that there will be no more singles issued from their back catalogue. Now, that's the official statement that comes out from Apple at the end of November 96, after a very jagged 12 months of anthology. And why? Who felt the need to say that? Well, I think it's accepted that George is, as Pete Doggett describes him, the chief architect. Mm. Um, 
of this uh, statement um, because in in the absence of George pushing for this, you, the first question is why? Why would you put any statement out? Yeah, you know, uh, it, it's 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 there's no you know you've released anthology three. That's the end of the project. Everyone knows there isn't an anthology four coming. Yeah. You, you don't need to draw a line in the sand. But and not George... only that, but we all know that they're not going to go out on the road as the Beatles. We all know that it's not that kind of relationship, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it is very strange. And I mean, what, what Pete Doggett says is, uh, you know, the anthology project had solved George's financial problems. The Beatles had answered the prayers of the world and now the world could leave the Beatles alone. Yeah, it, it does uh, reek of George saying, leave me alone, we've done it. it, go away. We've done what you've been asking us to do for all these years, we've done it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think you can probably say George is also thinking, we did it, we told you all the time it would never live up to yeah. your expectations, yeah. but we've done it, that's it, leave me alone. Don't bother um, me. I see what you did there. <laughs> um, so yeah, that that's it's it's a very odd. But uh, you know, if you look at the statement, um, it, it, it's clearly something written by committee. Mm -hmm. um, it's you know the Beatles are no more. Yeah, and you think right, that's it. Uh, but the, um, why, the, then it's like they will never play together again. <laughs> yes, as a group. Yeah, and you think, well, what does that mean? Does that that kind of mean? They could all get together again on a Paul album, or they could all get together again on a Ringo album. And they said, there will be no more singles yes. issued from their back catalogue. And you think, well, what does that mean? Does that mean there'll be more albums, uh, but it's just no singles? It's a sour. very odd. Yeah, well, we, we, we could spend uh, <laughs> you know an hour just talking, parsing that sentence, yeah. and what does it mean, and looking for clues. And, but it's a very odd, but you, you, it's clearly, this is it. George is drawing a line. And I think what follows mm. shows that, that shows George's attitude to the project and the finality of it compared with what Ringo does and what Paul does. As you say, Paul's already pressing forward, working on Flaming Pie. Mm. But here's the thing, because you know, my hypothesis is that, you know, George can put out whatever statement he wants. The band did not split up. and no. The band got back together contractually and under the you know umbrella of Apple to get Anthology out. And as we said yeah. at the top of the episode, this is the form of the Beatles that we still see today. So when Ringo says, oh, I've seen a cut of the Peter Jackson film, or George, you know, Paul says, oh, I had to listen to the Abbey Road box set, you have Paul and Ringo from the Beatles overseeing the release of Beatle products. Yeah. And it yeah. all goes back to this Anthology period. So George can say what he likes, but what we're going to see next is that there's a couple of key things that happen over the next couple of years in the slipstream of the anthology that shows that they are still tied together in a way that they definitely were not in the 70s and 80s, that yeah. they are back together as a, as a single-headed entity. Even if it is a business entity, they are back together. Um, so 1996 ends, ABC TV broadcasts some Threetles clips that haven't been seen before, the Blue Moon of Kentucky clip, and Paul finally gets his knighthood in the honours. Um but the Beatles never really split up despite no. that statement. So there's a couple of things. One is, you know, it's interesting, first of all, to look at how Paul, uh, George and Ringo 
make hay or not in the aftermath of the anthology. So if the anthology is at close of business as at the end of 96, Paul, who's been told by EMI not to release any records during the anthology project, um, you know, he tees up his 97, his big 1997 thing is Flaming Pie. He's good good to go. (laughs) Well, we could do a Flaming Pie episode some other time, but, you know, he's basically releasing an album with a Beatle alluding title. It's all sold on the back end of anthology. Even the re-release has been sold of I came off the back of anthology, yeah. and he's, he, he's got Ringo. He's got yeah. I mean, I, I, he Paul is using anthology as a springboard, as you say. He's he's using that anecdote about the naming the flaming pie. He's got Ringo. He's got George Martin. He's got Jeff Emmerich. He's got Jeff Lynne. He's got the the, the gang. The the old team are back together again with one notable exception. But he's <laughs> got he's got the gang back, and it, it, you know he does some promo stuff. He does a live set on the roof of his MPL offices in Soho Square. Um, He's doing lots of interviews. He's talking about anthology. Um, So yeah, he's, he's, he's launching this. He's launching, we're sort of relaunching his career. Um, having taken that break during the the three or four years of the project, and very successfully too, it's a it's, yeah. a, it's a great yeah. album. It it does well. Um, could have been better. Could have been, <laughs> been better. Could have been better. Um, uh, yeah, and what's interesting is in some of the interviews that he gives, he starts to talk about the cracks in the relationship with George. Yeah, and, which is you know he's very, pretty clear yeah, about it. It's very odd that he's doing that, but this is. You know, one of George's complaints about Paul all the way through the 70s was, you know, whenever Paul has some product to put out, he talks about the Beatles getting back together again. And it's just a kind of variation on that. But it's also positioning Paul, I think, as, you know, keeper of the flame is maybe a little bit dramatic, but... It's Beatle Paul is back. Well, I remember in 97, you know, the Q magazine uh, cover story on Flaming Pie and the headline mm. was Meet the Beatle. Yeah. Singular. And, you know, that's very instructive of, you know, he's he's he realizes that even if he's not in the Beatles, he's a Beatle forever. That's yeah. kind of what he's coming out the far side of the anthology is. And he does say in interviews things like, you know, oh, you know, Ringo always rings back straight away. But George, you know, he doesn't reply to me. He doesn't come back. Um, you know, I do love him. But, you you know, you know, he doesn't really want to. There's, uh, there's, there's, do you know, there's something very, I don't know, sad about that, or kind of not, not sad in that you know George doesn't ring him, but sad in the fact that he feels the need to put that out there. Yeah, you know, like he, but it, it's not just oh, sometimes I ring. He says, uh, I, 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 I have rung him, and maybe he hasn't rung back. No big deal. I, I write him a letter. He might not reply to it. I don't think he means not to reply to it, but it makes me wonder whether he actually wants to do it or not. And in this context, he's talking about them working together. And you think it's that idea where you've split up from somebody and they just keep ringing you. And, and, and you but know, he, he, that, that's not a good look. But he does explicitly say in another interview, he says, look, we had a third track now and then. I wanted to do mm. it, but we didn't all agree. There was only one of us who didn't want to do it. Nudge, nudge. It's Jeff uh, Lynn. Uh, um, the Beatles might raise their ugly heads again but the what's interesting is Paul kind of drops these little bombs but then during the summer of 1997 that's when George gets his cancer diagnosis yeah. and what I notice in the interviews from the time is that Paul then just goes into reverse and doesn't really talk about this issue again yes and kind of clams up on it yeah um, I, I, I think I think that's I mean I give him credit for that you know yeah. he's he's uh, 
So what is Ringo doing? Ringo records Vertical Man, which is quite a good Ringo album. It's a it's quite a good Ringo album, and uh, it's 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 a little bit of a throwback to the kind of Ringo of 1973 or Goodnight Vienna from 1974, yeah. in that it's got a collection of you know guest stars. You've got Tom Petty uh, on there, um, and uh, you've got Paul, and you've got. George. Uh, but yeah, both on Ringo's album. And Ringo yeah. goes on tour with the All-Star Band. He swings by Ireland that year. Were you there? I was there. Were you there? You were I there. I was there. I was there. I also saw him a couple of weeks later in, maybe the week later, I was in London and he was playing Shepherd's Bush Empire. And just to, so people know what who the lineup was. Go on. Uh, you had Dave Andy Gilmore. Kurt. No. no, Dave didn't show. <laughs> but um, you, you had Gary Brooker. Yeah, from Procol Harum. You had Peter Frampton on guitar. You had Jack Bruce on mm. bass, and you had Andy Kirk from Free on drums, and and Ringo from the Beatles, and Ringo from the Beatles, and the touts outside Shepherd's Bush Empire could not give the tickets away. Really, uh, it was I would guess about two thirds full. Yeah, and I don't know what the face value was. You know, fifteen pounds a ticket or something like that. They were they were literally saying, you know, give me two pounds, give me three pounds for a ticket, and they couldn't give them away. And you think, but this was this was you know off the coming off the back of anthology. Yeah. Plus, you had a lineup where you know you were getting songs from Cream, you were getting yeah. Peter Frampton, you were getting Procol Harum, you were getting songs from Free, and you almost literally could not give those tickets away. That's kind of shocking. But but he is recording, you know, on, on Radical Man, he records a version of Love Me Do. Mm-hmm. So again, Ringo, not to the same extent as George, but Ringo is taking Anthology as the launch pad and is doing sort of beatly things. Yeah, so... Paul is uh, making money off the back of Anthology. Ringo is making hay off the back of Anthology. And George decides to put out an album full of chants with Ravi Shankar, which you yeah. know, sells 10, 20 million copies. Have you heard that album? Do you know what? I only owned a copy of it for the first year because uh, it came out a few weeks ago for Record Store Day. And yeah. I haven't given it a spin yet. So that's um, a big hole in my knowledge. I apologize. It's, I, it's, it's a very good record. I know, I, it's, mean, I, I know it's supposed to be actually very good. Um, I don't mean to slam And it. it's for anybody out there that is sort of thinking, well, Indian music. I mean, I don't profess to, to you know, I'm, I've just started reading a biography of Ravi Shankar and already I'm stuck on, on trying to learn <laughs> Indian notation. Um in the opening chapters, but for anyone that thinks, oh, I, I don't re- really know how to get in, this is a great way in. Okay. And it, it's, an, it's an album that I've had for a while. It came out on CD. It came out as part of a box collaborations um, uh, with George and Ravi Shankar. So it is a very good album. I highly recommend it. I will get on it straight away. Um, and then the Apple organization still exists. You know, they start doing Apple clothing via Apple Organics. They put they put adverts for this stuff inside copies of anthologies. Uh, yeah, so a bit strange. Yeah. And so, so, so this is the this is the start of what we know today, the beginning of the modern kind of organization. Mm. Um, and can we just touch on the fact about Apple owning? Or the band owning the recordings of the singles? Yes, they do. Yeah, they well, they own the Threetle singles, don't they? Yeah. So uh, you know, even to this day, they don't own. Mm. the recordings that they made in the 60s but they were john was out of contract when he wrote the song george and ringo didn't have a contract paul you know the astute businessman 
has yeah. a specific provision in his contract with Apple since 1975 that he owns the recordings and he just licenses them back to Capital. So th this, the Beatles are now doing the same thing. So suddenly, as you say, they're still together, but it, this is the Beatles organization. Yeah. And suddenly Apple, which has been pretty much defunct uh, since the mid-70s, is back in business. And... Um there was you know, the 30th anniversary of Sgt. Pepper kind of passes without a squeak. There was supposed to be a box in 1997? There was supposed to be a box, but I think they sort of missed the boat a little mm. bit. Um, so June came and went, and then there was supposed to be a box was, was rumoured at the end of the year for some reason, and it just never happened. Yeah. Um, it, it didn't happen. But I say Apple is back and functioning. So there's still an awful lot of Beatles activity throughout the end of 97. Sadly, Derek Taylor passes away from cancer in September 97. Um, but towards the end of that month, Paul plays uh, some Beatle music at the concert for Montserrat. And that's a great performance. It's still on YouTube. It's still on YouTube. Uh, it's an amazing performance. I mean, you know, all the kind of stars of the day are there. Yeah. And he plays Golden Slumbers and The End. Yeah. And it's an amazing thing to see. Well, it's it's kind um, of a one-off performance because he's he's without a band at this point. He hasn't yeah. toured since '93. He won't tour again till 2001. Yeah, and it's kind of an odd little glimpse because into him performing big songs at that time. Big songs and 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 with a big sort of <clears throat> orchestral arrangement. And I remember thinking when he played the Olympics, um, mm. I remember thinking that's what he should have done. He should have gone back and replicated what he did for Montserrat. But yes. um, but yeah, there's a, there's a lot happening. There um, is a lot happening. So just to do a very quick crash course, a list. Peter Blake sues Apple for Sgt. Pepper royalties because of his sleeve design. Paul publishes many years from now. His closest thing will get to an authorised biography. Yeah. Of sorts, yeah. and but very much in the vein of anthology, looking back, retrospection. Yep. Uh, similarly, the National Trust by Twenty Fourthland Road, Paul's old house. Um, Lennon Legend comes out from EMI. So there's a John Greatest Hits, and this is twelve months ahead of the Lennon Anthology, which is the own Lennon's own solo version of anthology. Uh, Standing Stone comes out from Paul, so he releases two albums in that year. And notably, Paul walks out of the Q Awards because of who? Phil Spector. Phil Spector is there, and Paul he's, he's yeah he's getting just some ups kind and of leaves. Life, yeah he's getting some kind of lifetime achievement award, and Paul is there, so he must know that Phil Spector is 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 there as well. Mm. And uh, Phil gets up to collect his award, makes it, and Paul gets up and walks out. So that's what gets the headline. Good I'm quite for clever, quite him. clever. Well done, Paul. And very exciting news because on the twelfth of December, Ringo signs with Guardian Records. Yes, which is very exciting. He's back in contract. He's got Vertical Man is 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 nearing completion, and he's good to go. Well, hold on, and hold on. I've just had a newsflash. Uh, six days later, on the eighteenth of December, what happens? Uh, EMI announces the closing of Guardian Records. Oh, you just can't get a break, can he? Oh, Poor Ringo. Yeah. That's just not good. I um, think. I think. <laughs> I don't think those things were directly related. <laughs> to me. Um, so there's a couple of key events that we're going to wrap up on because they still show this notion of the Beatles being together, even in spite of that statement from '96 that they're mm. they're still functioning as a unit. Uh, sadly, in April 1998, Linda McCartney dies, which might explain why in May 1990. Um, when a court case arises, uh, Paul isn't in the high court, which he has been known to do before. And the yeah. court case is about the ownership of the Beatles Star Club tapes. Yeah. Um, and the person who, who sort of steps up here is George. And as you say, on the face of it, that's odd because George is distancing himself 
from from the Beatles. But I, I I think you're absolutely right. I think it's 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 Linda's death that really um, dictates that George is going to do that. So we, I, I mean, I don't think we want to spend more than 40 or 50 minutes talking about the <laughs> star club tapes. So, you know, we might be doing an episode we on the star club tapes, but, but basically this is a, a, a recording from late 62 at the star club. The tape has a bit of a checkered history. It was uh, uh, Teddy King size Taylor, who was a musician supposedly given permission by John to record this, 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 this tape had been kicking around since the seventies. I remember buying it uh, on vinyl when it first came out um on on the linga song <laughs> yeah. uh, record label sony had tried to release it at one point in 91 apple had brought a case against them with the advent of cd 96 98 linga song set the scene for a new legal battle by saying we're going to put this out on cd and um apple uh step in george gets into the witness box and there's two quotes from from george mm. One, he says, one drunken person recording another bunch of drunks does not constitute a business deal. Hmm. As a lawyer, I can say that's correct. I mean, it's legally correct. <laughs> um, they lack capacity there to enter into a they binding do. contract. Yes, well, um, capacity is a medical issue as well. Yes, that's true. But this is a this is the quote, and and I think this is this I, is. I really want to read this. This is great. Uh, uh, you want to you want to read it? No, you can you can read it. You can read it. Can you do George? I maintain a healthy distance from the past. Unlike the Beatles experts who wallow in Beatles trivia, I spend a lot of time getting the junk out of my mind through meditation. So I don't know or remember, I don't want to know or remember every detail because it's a trivial pursuit. Well, I don't know about you, but I think that brings the podcast <laughs> to an end. Uh, Is he still your favourite, uh, yeah? <laughs> not, just, not just this episode, but the entire thing. George um, is right. What are we doing? George is we're right. Wasting we're wasting our lives doing this. But the good news is that Apple win the case. George goes to court, bats for the Beatles, bats for Apple, and Apple win the case, and they win the Star Club tapes. So they are yes. now in the position... Uh, our possession of the ownership of the tapes. And we kind of keep our fingers crossed that all this new demixing technology and everything else means that they might actually exist this, in an official capacity this is the whole. This is the holy grail. Mm. You know, I mean, it just it seems to me that with what they've done uh, with, with the last three box sets, yeah, it's spectacular. And whenever we were at... Um, Abbey Road, and we had that sort of little demonstration of, of, of demixing, of yeah. and it was "She Loves You," which is only exists as a mono recording, and they were able to pull out all of the separate instruments. And you think yeah. every year that goes by, this te technology gets better. Mm. So there must come a point where they can do this with the Star Club tapes, and certainly the version that I bought in 1977 is almost unlistenable. Yeah, but the bootleg versions that exist now are much, much superior. So if 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 they actually you know, lock Giles Martin in a room and told them to get on with it. They could do something with it. 2022, the anniversary. <laughs> um, there's a memorial service then on the 22nd of June in New York City for Linda McCartney and Yoko isn't invited. This makes the press that, you know, why wasn't Yoko there? Yeah. I kind yeah. of understand why Yoko wasn't there. It might have been a distraction or it might have been... Well, you think? Maybe, I don't know. I mean, well, this follows. There was a, a, I mean, I have a very clear memory. There was a, there was a memorial service in, um, in London uh, on the eighth of June, and then another on in in New York. And yeah, it does. And again, th this kind of again indicates that the degree of 
antagonism that that seems to suddenly have sprung up. And I mean, I was never very clear what had happened particularly, but um, it, uh, supposedly what happened was that Linda called Yoko in the yeah. context of the anthology project and said, look, as a personal favor, would you allow the writing credit for yesterday on anthology two to be reversed to McCartney Lennon? Mm. Yoko supposedly is thinking, well, this is, you know, it's Lennon McCartney. Uh, I'm not going to set a precedent. You next thing, you know, would be crawling all over the catalog. And, and, and so she just says, no, it's not happening. And several of Paul's biographers say that this became a major issue. Um, and it kind of reopened old wounds, and particularly in the context of Linda's Being sick, deteriorating yeah. health mm. condition. Now, I was, that's not something that Linda, or sorry, that Yoko would necessarily have been aware of at this stage, but that seems to have been uh, the reason. But can, can we just say who was invited to the memorial? Well, yeah, May Pang was at the memorial. So that's quite a pointed mm. exercise, you not think? Yeah, I, I, I suppose. You know, anyway, it's it's all it, it plays back into this war of words that that kind of develops between Paul and Yoko when they're giving little interviews in the press. And Yoko, for once, is kind of saying, you know, oh well, it's very sad to be there. But she's sort of taking the moral high ground. And I don't think Paul comes out of that particularly no. well. And one of the things. If you remember, Mark Lewison mentioned when he was on the the podcast uh, in the first episode that they seem now in 2020 have to got to the point that if there are those issues, mm. they don't talk about it. It's not played out in public, yes. but this, they're clearly still working working that arrangement out at this stage. Um, although Yoko made a very nice statement about Linda saying, when she was strong, I felt strong. She took a sad song and made it better. So that's kind of nice. Um, there are two more uh, things I want to point out that involve Paul, George and Ringo working in a concerted effort uh, together in the name of the Beatles. And the first one is in 1999, the Yellow Submarine film and the Yellow Submarine song track come out. And, yep. You know, the interesting thing about these is that there is a... You know, they're, they're, they're doing electronic press kits and little mini documentaries and the three of them are being interviewed again, not together, but separately no. and giving their recollections of the, the project. And, uh, you know, this is a, a, an Apple sanctioned project that the three Beatles are basically doing promo for. Yeah, it, 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 it's interesting that and I wonder, could this only really have happened with Yellow Submarine? I mean, Yellow Submarine seems as a film mm. seems to be something that all three of them, and probably John as well, but certainly the the the, uh, the Threedles are very fond of the film. Yeah, they are. You know, they like the film. Yeah. Um, and the other aspect of the film is they're not really in it. <laughs> yes, they can kind of you be. A, well, they can enjoy it as yeah. spectators. They're not. Exactly. Their involvement exactly. is very tangential. Exactly. So, I mean, apart from that one little clip at the end, which we adore uh, yes. as, as the thing, but uh, where they seem genuinely to be having a good time, they're not actually in this film. Yeah, and on the soundtrack, or the song track, um, there's a nice spread of of music. Well, the song track, you know, is totally understandable because a lot of people are disappointed with the original Yellow Submarine album, or that it should have been an EP. But what the song track does set a precedent for is remixing the catalog. It's the first yeah. time that Apple say we're not only you know we're not only going to put out a compilation 
because yeah. up to that, the CDs had been very much canon. It's the albums. Yeah. And now we're going to do Red and Blue. They're canon. We're going to do Anthology as a new thing. Now we're into something different, which is recontextualizing the catalogue, which they haven't done before, and putting out a totally new CD. And not only that, setting a precedent for what we are now more familiar with, with the recent box sets of yeah. remixing the core songs. And some of the remixes on the song track are the best mixes. They are really, they, really good. Nowhere Man is great. Uh, there's some really good highlights on that album. They, they are. I mean, I, I, I remember when this came out just thinking, this sounds amazing. It does this sound is amazing. absolutely incredible. And um, it's kind of happening under the radar. There's a bit of Beatles sanctioning, I think, going on on the recent remixes. I don't think they had much say or sign off on these remixes at all. If, you, if you're listening to this podcast and you don't own that album because you think it's just songs you have already mm. pick up a cheap cd of the yellow submarine song track it yeah. sounds super it does i mean the, the 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 only two comments i would make is one they should have taken advantage of the uh, of the opportunity to put out the full version mm -hmm. of it's all too much oh yeah which is still uh, you know not officially released and the other thing is that there was room on that cd to put the george martin orchestrations at the end if they'd wanted to but they didn't want to <laughs> wow. You know, the, I, I think a kind of little, you know, yeah. second but it, CD, but it could all have fit, fit on one CD. But, but it, it wasn't but, to, rep, it wasn't to take, no. it wasn't to change that. It was to do another thing. And it's, and it the, was, the, there's it another Sgt. Pepper on that album and it's remixed in a really great yeah, way. Yeah. It was, it was clearly a test run. Yes. To see, you know, if, if there had been howls of protests and, and, and people weren't buying it. Um, and there could easily have been, I suppose, the kind mm. of purest, you know, part of me, uh, you know, I, what I don't like about about the, the 21st century Beatles is the fact that every sort of everything has become standardized. So mm. we've got official, you know, like all the American mixes have disappeared. Yeah. Um, you know, if you buy the box set of CDs of American albums, those are the 2009 UK mixes just resequenced. They're not the Americans, not what the American market heard when they came out. Uh, they kind of tweak things and they fix things and they, they polish it all up. And I, but on paper, I, I should hate this because I think, well, this is just tinkering. Hmm. But actually, it sounds so good. It is good. That, that, that it kind of obliterates any any objections you might have. And the DVD, DVD is a pretty new format at the time, is also important because it, it has, um, you know, you can listen to just the songs. You can listen to a music-only mix of the movie on that 99 yep. DVD, which isn't on the modern DVD. And uh, the songs are mixed into 5-1. So it's the first Beatles 5-1. So there's a lot going on in that Yellow Submarine project for the first time. And this uh, is why you should buy every version of every single thing that comes <laughs> Out because you know, don't throw out your VHS tapes and don't throw out your DVDs and buy the Blu ray. And you know, you have to, you, because they'll all be slightly different. You've got to have a hobby. And so that's 99. So they're dipping their toes in the water for the big one. And the big one happens in 2000. And there's a couple of things that happen together, but the big one is the album one itself, which comes out on the 13th of November 2000. Now, we talked about Beatle compilations on a separate episode, but you know, it is a ridiculously successful culmination <laughs> of. Of this sort of Apple incorporated approach to the Beatles catalogue. They're now doing something, you know, brand new, 27 tracks, one CD, uh, a huge, fantastic, you know, the biggest selling album of the decade that yeah. they managed to put out. I mean, the, the, what this this does in, in 2000, what the Red and Blue albums did in 1973, mm. 
you, you know, for, for people who were you know, my age who are growing up, the Red and the Blue album, and maybe people of your age, that album was kind of in their <laughs> parents' collection. Mm. You know, that, that was just there and everybody had that and that was the entry point. This yes. is the entry point for sort of the next generation or two and it's this 20 w- years old this year and it's still canon it slipped over it's, into canon yeah you know, and it we, you still see it everywhere absolutely and i mean the the, the 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 this is really the foundation this is the both the culmination of of uh anthology yeah where there were kind of a few false starts and slips and and a little bit of chaos that we talked about but this is the point at which apple suddenly lock in and start to get everything right going forward. And there's two other projects that happen in the slipstream of one uh, at the end of 2001 is www.thebeatles.com goes live when one comes out with the the crazy flash something come to you know, come together yeah, video yeah. which is is not great um but the beatles website goes live so that's kind of a culmination of here is a shop window for the beatles we you know george paul and ringo are sanctioning sitting on the board of this entity and they've got a website and you know it's a beatles website that's that yeah, yeah. um and the cash comes rolling in. The cash go, and the cash comes rolling in. But perhaps to finish where we started, the other thing that comes out in October two thousand, lumbering over the finish line, is the Beatles anthology book. It's as if to come full circle. And yeah. the Beatles anthology book, when it came out in October two thousand, it was like, why are we getting this now? This is anachronistic. Yeah. This is yeah. crazy. Why didn't this happen back five years earlier? And it, again, it's this dysfunction that doesn't get this thing happening earlier. Uh, I, I, I could never really explain why it happened five years think, later. Do you think they're just arguing uh, behind the scenes about the text or you can't say that or I don't want that photograph. You know, like you and I, you and I argued about this. You know, <laughs> don't well, put out that photograph. Don't say that. Don't, I do like know. this notion that it's written by the Beatles and we've had this announcement recently of the Get Back book which is written by the <sighs> Beatles as if Ringo yeah. is licking his pencil and writing down <laughs> all the stuff that's happening. Um, but it's, it's the anthology book is a very frustrating book because it's impossible to read. It's ways too much. The graphic it's, design does my head in. It does yeah. have new interviews. It's transcripts of interviews from the show but there are new interviews yes, in it. Yes, and yes. And I really wish we could get a text-based version of it that we could just read like a book because it's I, hard I'd like an to scan. I'd like an audio version where I don't even have to turn the page <laughs> or, or lift it up. But yeah, it's it's, it's the most impractical thing. It, it's, it's uh, I mean, I have that book, obviously, mm. but um, I don't think I've ever sat down. I mean, you couldn't sit down to read it. You can't. It's and, really and, difficult and, to read. And, and it is like a sort of slightly embarrassed afterthought oh mm. yeah we had this book from all those years ago which yeah. we, we, let's just oh yeah we, we yeah you know uh, i mean it can't it can't consciously have been put out to to piggyback off one can it i, d- I don't think so no i don't remember it being that way at the time i just remember it, it coming out and it was like hey it's, it's... somebody found it in the back of a cupboard from 96 <laughs> or 97 and thought well but it does go to show the end of the ho-ho long and winding road of a project that started uh, while the Beatles were still active back in 1968, that 32 yeah. years later, eventually this book comes out, but it comes out in a very different Beatle universe where there's a Beatle website, there's a, an, an Apple business that are going to be monetizing the Beatles in, in 
into the 21st century. And the Beatles anthology was the, 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 the enzyme that made all of these reactions happen that gave us this 21st century Beatles. So at the end of the day, I'm very happy about the Beatles anthology. I'm very glad it exists. I think the, the, seed, the DVDs that subsequently came out were great. And yeah. I hope that the Beatles anthology gets a bit of an overhaul for the future. It it really does need a it really does need a, a sort of a remaster. Um, mm. And I suppose you know this was the anniversary year, but you know Let It Be was coming out. Yes. Uh, except it didn't come out. Um, yes. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I it, it's it's uh, 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 DVDs. I I dip back into. I, I've never sat down to watch it all from start to finish. Mm. If there's something I, I'm a particular thing I, I want. to era or a particular song or something i'll go back into that dvd and it's great for that yeah. i mean it works really well as a sort of a resource that you can uh dip back into and um you, you know as you say that's what led to one uh yeah. which kind of positioned them now we're 20 years into the the 21st century and uh they're they're still yeah. selling if, if we look at it being as 50 years since the Beatles split up you know anthology comes 25 years ago right in the middle and there's definitely a before anthology and a post anthology yeah. Beatles that, that, that exists and I hope for the future I like to imagine in Apple somebody has a has a you know with those whiteboards where they're listing all the projects of things that needs to be done and you know the Beatles anthology getting a, a high def you know yeah. rescan re reconstruction you know Pink Floyd did a fantastic job with uh, uh, Delicate Sound of Thunder, which isn't my favorite era of Floyd, but they went back to all the original film, rescanned it, re-edited it, put it back together, you know, and it looks appropriate for the 21st century. Beatles anthology needs a bit of that love uh, to get it done. And, you know, they could always throw in a few extra bits for us to enjoy and maybe give us Carnival of Light after all of these years. Or maybe invite us on as uh, some kind of consultants to, uh, to, to, to work on this. We should, we should also mention... Well, you're not listening uh, to what George said, what he thought of you. <laughs> we should also mention um, the, 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 the sort of extended audio version of Anthology, which was sort of oh, fan-made yes. thing, which if people can find that out there, uh, uh, is just amazing, where, where, where people have taken the Anthology, effectively the soundtrack, mm. and expanded upon it. And if Apple had any sense, they would just appropriate that and um, yeah. put put that out as their own podcast or their own uh, uh, release. Um, so if you can find that, it's Anthology Revisited, I think is what it's called. So maybe, maybe uh, all these things will happen in a few years down the line. So, yeah, the Beatles Anthology, it, uh, it certainly changed a lot of things. Uh, what do you all think? What are your own memories? Get in touch with us in all the usual places. Twitter at BeatlesPod. Um, ask Stephen uh, to let you into the Facebook group. If you uh, search for uh, Nothing Is Real on Facebook, you'll find our private Facebook group there. And, um, you know, thank you for downloading uh, all our episodes. And if you want to leave a nice review, that's always appreciated. Um, but for now, I'm Jay. Jason Carty. I'm Stephen Cockcroft. And this has been Nothing Is Real. Thanks for listening. Nothing Is Real is powered by ACAST. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Thanks for listening to Nothing Is Real. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, why not become a member? You'll get access to ad-free content bonus episodes, and so much more. Follow the link in the show notes, sign up on ACAST Plus, or visit our website, nothingisrealpod.com.